Hi, I'm Anna McEwen, and this is The Epic Narrative. And now, my dad, Bob Switzer. Well, now, you will not believe what's going on in the house of David, right? Last week, we took a look at kind of a a one-off story from somewhere, you know, kind of along the timeline of David, but this this chapter is is actually in the First uh, Kings chapter one. This is actually like right down near the end of of David's reign. So we've got <laughs> we've got another run at the throne by another one of his sons. So verse one it says, when King David was very old, he could not keep warm even when they put covers over him. So his attendant said to him, let's look for a young virgin to serve the king and take care of him. She can lie beside him so our king may keep warm. And they searched throughout all of Israel for a beautiful young woman and found Abishag, a Shunammite woman, and brought her to the king. And the woman was very beautiful and she took care of the king and waited on him. But the king had no sexual relationship with her. So uh, now this is important. This is important later on in the story. So don't, I mean, don't look at it. It's, it's a, it's a good antidote, but it actually does play another key role. Um, yeah, it play, it plays a key role. So David's old. Uh, now, how old was David when he's very old and can't get warm? Now, it, it, there is some dispute. There is some dispute oh, as to how old David is at this time. It just there just is. Most feel he's at least seventy. Some think he's, but you know that, but but maybe uh, because of the way things are written, I'm trying to I'm trying to make this simple because it because of all the disputes. I've, you read all kinds of timelines and estimates, and then of course you got the verses that say you know he's thirty years old when he began to reign. And he reigned for 40 years, so he clearly died when he was 70. And others are like, well, we actually are told that he died. Like, he turns over power, but we don't know when he dies. So he could have cold, you know, there's, oh, I know, I know. So at some level, he's probably 70, between 70 and 80 years old at the time that this is written. And and clearly other people during this time live well into their hundreds. So why is David in such bad shape at age 70 that he can't get out of bed? Does he some some believe he had prostate cancer, which is why it's noted that the king had no sexual relations with this woman. That he was actually, you know, in a in a, in a very bad physical health, uh bedridden. Uh others others you know make the argument that this was a this was a guy who lived a very uh, eventful life, <laughs> and it involved a lot of hardships. Right, he lived outside as a shepherd for the most part of his uh, of his childhood. He lived uh, in you know in the wilderness, uh, running, uh, battling, uh, surviving uh, in caves and in valleys and in the woods and wilderness and and all that kind of stuff. So there's like it just. That kind of stuff, you feel fine for a long time. It just takes its toll the older you get. Like like parts of you break down sooner, even though you may feel good. Like there's times that there's people that um, 
Like I, I had a jaw injury when I was not really a face facial injury that impacted my jaw uh, when I was in high school. But I didn't really start feeling any effects of that in my jaw till you know thirty years later. And then, and then I, you know, my jaw developed this pop. And when I went to uh, one time, I was at you know an oral surgeon, and I'm just talking about what had happened, and he he immediately recognized why it was happening. There was, you know, he goes, "You just the trauma of that break, that facial break." Doesn't re- you don't really get to see it for a number of years, and now you're feeling it. So stuff like that could have happened to David. Breaks, sprains, um, injuries, internal bleedings, bruises that occurred in battle. Remember, remember when he was being chased by one of the giants, and Abishai came and 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 rescued him, and then they basically were like, "You're just too old to be in battle. Like you need to stop. You're slower." Now he wasn't. He wasn't like. 30 years older than than Joab and Abishai but but he was physically not able to outrun a giant not able to to hold on to his sword when the giant hit it like he had been previously there were things that were that had clearly started to slip so I you know and I well and we actually brought it up when we talked about Bathsheba but that I think played into the whole the the whole mentality of seeing Bathsheba and then saying, you know what, I'm going to take her. And and all this will work out just great. And of course, Bathsheba is part of this this narrative as well that we look at today. So uh, there's there's all this going on. I don't I don't know why he's bedridden at 70-ish, 75, whatever he is at this time. Uh, but there's lots of reasons for it. If you want one, pick one and have fun with it. Uh, work it out. But this woman that they they find is a virgin, and she's beautiful, and uh, she becomes his maidservant. She becomes his nurse, his nurse's aide, his uh, his assisted living uh, helper. She helps him, changes his his diaper, changes his sheets. Uh, when he you know whenever he's cold, she lies down next to him, uh, keeps him warm. And I'm sure he talks to her about all kinds of stuff. I, I know this because I, I know people that that work in, in the assisted care living uh, industry. They work in nursing homes. They visit people and they have stories to tell. And if you're there all the time, all day, they just start telling you things. They don't, they don't necessarily see their family. Everything's kind of in in motion in the nation as far as david is concerned they the 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 advisors come in i'm sure he signs off on some things he he works his way around they prop him you know the 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 woman here uh abishag abishag uh, abby we'll call her abby abi is the first three letters so abby props him up and you know drapes him in his royal robes and he deals with what he deals with, I kind of get the sense that his mind is fresh. His mind is fine, but his body is breaking down. And it's tough. When, you're, when your body's breaking down, it's frustrating. It's got to be so frustrating for a warrior and a worshiper like David. He can't get down to the temple. He can't get out to see the people. He can't stand in front of the troops. He can't. It, it's just got to be. There's so many things you can't do anymore, and yet your brain is just fine. 
and people are at some level just waiting for you to die. It's it's tough. It's tough. They don't want him to die, but they expect him to. And so into that expectation, into that expectation, Adoniah, whose mother was Haggith, put himself forward and said, I will be the king. So this is a guy who has another son of David, who's made a decision. Boom. I'm going to be the next king. He's uh, he's very good looking. Evidently, David had great genes when it comes to good looking kids. Uh, but he's a good looking dude. Uh, he's impatient. He's rebellious. Unwilling to wait for the throne. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think uh, I, I laugh, but it's also a little sad, right? I think it also just again points to David's lack of of fathering skills he doesn't see this coming he doesn't see his son separating from him he doesn't see that there's impatience building within within the family regarding the lack of david's mobility the lack of david's availability the lack of david's presence in in and around the palace at banquets at at uh uh, what do I want to say? Admiration? No. Admires? No. Uh, ambassadors? Thank you. Ambassador dinners. Am- ambassador greetings. Uh, it's all being done by by people who represent David, by by members of the court. But David isn't around. Uh, he's informed. People come by to visit David, but he's not there. He doesn't get out of bed. It's it's he's he's starting to be seen as weak. Remember that was one of the main things that uh, Absalom needed to prove to the nation was that David was a weak leader and he spent three years tearing David down while he built himself up and then when when he ran David out of town remember the first thing uh, the main advisor there um, Abishef no that was Mephibosheth (laughs) Ahithophel thank you oh my gosh that engineer was a little late coming in there uh, Ahithophel, right? His first his first act was to prove that David wasn't able to protect the the trade agreements and the countries that the that the concubines represented. So he he you know that was what he tried to prove. You had to prove that the king was no longer strong enough to lead the nation, and that you were. So that that is what Adonijah starts to move on. He starts to say, "All right, I'm going to be the next king." So he got chariots and horses ready with 50 men to run ahead of him. Same plan as as Absalom, remember? Of course, Absalom did this for a number of years before he tried to take over. But same plan, 50 men running in front of him. And uh, his again, David's, David's fathering, verse 6. His father had never rebuked him by asking, why do you behave the way you do? He was also very handsome and was born next after Absalom. Do you get it? He never asked him, why do you behave the way you do? This, again, is a pointing, uh, uh, a highlight, a, a bullet point that says David did not spend time developing the characters of the characters, characteristics, the character of his of his own children. He didn't ask them questions. Now, asking questions is really key when it comes to raising uh, children. It's key because. 
it forces the person to internalize the activity and and own it, right? If you just tell them, hey, what you're doing is inappropriate, but if you say, let's talk about this, <laughs> I I did it with my grandchildren. And well, I have a lot of grandchildren, but there were two of them over the house the other day. And one of them was, you know, telling me some funny part in the movie and I was listening and so excited. And then the other one wanted to join in and she started to join in on the because they were both watching the same movie. So she started joining in on the same scene and he literally just out of nowhere just turns and slaps her across the face. (laughs) I was you can't laugh in the moment. You have to be like, whoa, 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 whoa. What just happened? Well, then, like. I just asked the question, what just happened? What what made you turn and hit your sister across the face? Well, now she's crying and he's crying and they both run out of the room. And so I have to, you know, follow them and ask more questions, ask more questions. But but all of that goes toward helping them start to break down what what their behavior comes from, where where this is coming from, why being interrupted makes me feel violent. Like, why do I want her to stop right now? And there's, there's a lot there, and you don't all get it all the time. That's why you have to keep asking those questions. And what we're seeing is that David didn't do that. He was another uh, son born from the same mother as Absalom. So he was handsome. She evidently was probably gorgeous. He understood what Absalom, his brother had done. He knew kind of the plan. He, you know, looking back, he's probably thinking, well, Absalom did it at the wrong time. David was still strong. David still could get around. David could still run away and and build up an army and attack my brother. Like there was all of this going on. There's also family issues here where where he's <clears throat> excuse me. He's thinking this this really belongs to me and my family. So I need to step up and do this. So. He he plays some politics and he gets a couple guys on his side. Excuse me, I, I had to pause that man alive. I could not get that little critter out of my throat. So he plays some politics. He gets Joab. That Joab. <laughs> that, oh man, Joab. Joab seems to just he just he's a, so much a part of the story. You picture him basically in every room, and then every so often he plays a key role in something. So he gets Joab on his side. I don't know how. But there must have been something in the way that David looked, never getting out of bed, needing needing a girl to keep him, you know, keep him warm, but not being able or not or choosing not to have sex with her. Like there was something in all of this where Joab's like, all right, I need to I need to throw my hat in the ring to the next king. If I'm going to keep my job, David's not the guy who can protect me anymore. He's He sees him as weak. And Abathar, right, Zadok's connecting point, the other priest, also joins Adoniah. And they give him their support. But Zadok isn't there. Benaiah, the captain of the king's guard, remember that's probably a thousand or more men. And Nathan the prophet, he didn't, he didn't, he wasn't part of this. And Shemei and Ray, David's special guard units, 
those guys are from foreign lands. If you remember, they, when they, they joined David on the way out of Jerusalem, they basically had just shown up. Uh, but they were like, we're, we're with you, 100%. So they're all there. So David has, he still has power and authority under him. There are plenty of people who don't know what's going on who can turn this thing around, but no one knows what's going on. So Adoniah goes and he sacrifices sheep and cattle and fatted cattle, like just a bunch. And again, you have to understand this all takes time. It's not like you have, you know, power tools and whatever, like the priest is involved. There's ceremony. There's things to say. There's there's certain cuts that need to occur. There's fire that has to go up. There's prayers that have to go up. All of this sacrificial system is there. And I think I mentioned it uh, last week, but I think the sacrificial system was put in place because man needed something to make him to make him think that he was close to God, to make him think that God was happy with him. And and it didn't impact God's presence. It didn't impact whether or not God liked people. It didn't impact whether or not God was going to be there or not be there. God was always going to be there, and God was always going to be loved. But he, he instituted the sacrificial system because way back you know in the time of when the sacrifices were were initiated it was it was man's way of feeling close to god and if you study anthropology this is super clear every culture has a way of sacrificing to a god and it usually ends with a human sacrifice or it doesn't end but it usually escalates to the point of human sacrifice so God instituted rules. He's like, all right, fine. If you want a sacrificial system to feel close to me, fine. But it's only animals. And it's only animals ever. We do not escalate this to human sacrifice. But internally, there was something, I think, that always was there in, in, the, in the back of people's minds. Like, eventually, God's going to want human sacrifice. And I think it was so clearly seen when when God asked Abraham to sacrifice his son, it was like Abraham knew that this day was coming. He knew that God was going to eventually up the ante. All right, need to sacrifice my son. Like that's I knew this was coming. Like this is this is the way to God, and he gets up there and God like he stops him because he's like he lets him get all the way through it and basically says I can't believe you no like no this is not me this is not me. This is not me. I need this very clearly pointed out to you. I need you to pass this on to everyone. I do not want human sacrifices. I don't kill people. That's a short version of what we'll deal with when we get to Genesis and eventually we'll get to Exodus. But the sacrificial system's there. So he there's there's ritual and prayers and all that stuff. That's what I I don't I, I know. I ran down a rabbit trail, but Ta-da! You're used to it by now. If you've listened to any other of my of these podcasts, you know I run down rabbit trails. So there's Adoniah. He's sacrificing, and he invited all his brothers, the king's sons, and all the royal officials to Judah. But he did not invite Nathan or Benaiah or the special guards or his brother Solomon. Why? Because I think... Everyone in the family knew that David had promised Bathsheba that Solomon would be crowned the next king. But 
The general public wasn't aware of that. So this guy, Adoniah, steps in where his brother left off, and he's like, I'm just going to do this, and I'm going to do it with the support of the of the general major general, general major over the armies. I'm going to do it with one of the priests. I'm not just going to do it with the main counselor of David. I'm not just going to do it with a bunch of, you know, low-level officials and government, uh, uh, not counselors, government uh, attachés from from other governments. I'm going to do it, you know, right. And he goes just outside the city. Now, he's just outside the city walls. So it's not like Absalom, you know, had moved himself down to the previous palace in Hebron. Uh, Adonijah stayed right there. Everything's going great. Everybody's enjoying this party. Few important people are missing. They look around, they understand that, but it was good. Politics are going well. Popularity was there. Uh, people liked him. He was good looking. I, I'm not saying he was an idiot by any means. Just outside the, you know, the edge of town, the edge of the city. He had family available. All of his brothers were there. The royal officials had had you know decided to roll with it. This is going great, and it's again, it's all day. This is going on all day. Probably started at sunrise. Everybody's gathering throughout the day, throughout the morning. Fire is lit. Smoke. You know, there's a celebration. People are eating. As the various things get cooked on the on the altar, there's wine being poured. Oh yeah, this is a good time, and and, and you don't get the sense that there's like this boding evil thing that's going to occur. It's just everything's good. Adonijah is thinking this is a great plan. David is just in his bed. No one cares. He doesn't care. He doesn't know. He's too weak to do anything about it. By the time people find out that I'm the king, everyone's going to be happy about it. Nathan, Zadok, Paniah, they're just going to have to roll with it because I'm going to have everybody's support. This, that's politics, remember? This is politics. This is not diplomacy. This is not honor. So Nathan, Nathan, here's what's going on. He goes to Bathsheba. He goes, have you heard about Adoniah, the son of Haggathoth? He's become king. And our lady, and and David knows nothing about it. So let me give you some advice. We're gonna figure this out. I've got a plan. That's basically what he's saying. I got a plan. We're gonna save your life and the life of your son Solomon. Why would that need to be done? Because everybody in the family knows Solomon had been declared the next king, even if the whole rest of the nation didn't know that yet. Now maybe they did. I don't know. I don't think they did. But that's just my thought. I'm fine to be, you can dispute it. I'm not going to argue with you. So he's like, this is the plan. Go into David and ask the king these questions. Did you not say that your servant Solomon would be king after me and he would sit on my throne? Why has Adonijah become the next king? While you're still there talking to the king, I'll come in and say the same thing. So he he went after this, basically, rather than rather than looking like an intervention where we're both going to stand there in front of David and, and tell him what's going on. We're going to come in one at a time. 
We're going to take turns telling David what happened. And we'll see what happens, right? So the whole plan goes off as scheduled. She goes in. He's like, what do you what do you want? She goes, well, my Lord, you yourself swore to me, swore to me, your servant, by the Lord your God, that Solomon would be, Solomon, your son, would be the next king after you. But now Adonai has become king, and you don't seem to know anything about it. In other words, you, 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 you're weak. You're unaware of what's going on. He sacrificed a great number of cattle, fatted calves, and sheep. He's invited all your other sons. Abathar, the priest, is with him. Joab, the commander of the army, is with him. But he has not invited Solomon. The eyes of all of Israel are on you to learn from you who will sit on the throne. Otherwise, as soon as my lord the king has laid to rest with his ancestors, I and my son Solomon will be will be treated as criminals. So her her position, right? She comes in as a mother, an honored mother. She's probably about 42 years old at this time. She comes in and she basically lays it out for him. She goes, you know what? All You told me Solomon was going to be the next one to sit on your throne. You said that. You, you made that really clear to me. I've raised him in such a way where he, he can be king. And what, what is implied by that and the fact that Nathan's involved in this whole story is that she has, a, she has raised Solomon with Nathan, that Nathan has been his spiritual and and God a spiritual guide and manly example. What a what a man is supposed to be like. He's held Solomon accountable for his behavior, not David. Remember, David David has never even asked uh, Adoniah why what made you do that. Like, why did you behave the way you do? There's been no discipline coming from David from him to his sons. Now, I know, I know, he wasn't disciplined either by his father because his father considered him a servant and and a and a illegitimate child. So he had no he didn't care about David. I get that. But he still had opportunity. He could have put Nathan in charge of raising his family. He could have said, "Nathan, I need you to be the, you know, the the family father figure because I don't know how to but he didn't he made no no uh, arrangements no provision for his children to be raised by a godly man just kind of hoped that they picked up on it I guess and they didn't not all of them at least but Solomon did because I believe Solomon was raised by Bathsheba and Nathan so she's like listen I've, I've raised my child as as he should and he's ready to be the next king but she implies in, in her the way that she wor, uh, word, uh, words this, as soon as my lord the king is laid, laid to rest, that that there's this there's this idea that you're not going to die anytime soon, but Adonai is going to declare himself king. You're going to be pressured to let him be king. And then when you finally die, he's going to kill me and Solomon because we know that you told Solomon he'd be the next king. And frankly... Everyone in the family knows that Solomon was supposed to be the next king. So this guy's usurping the throne, diplomatic, uh, not diplomatic, but, uh, diplomatic, but politically taking it over. And what are you going to do? 
And while she's still speaking with the king, Nathan comes in. And the king was told that Nathan the prophet is here. So he went before the king and he bowed down to the ground. He said, Nathan said, have you declared that Adonijah shall be the next king? That he would sit on your throne? Asking questions, not accusations. He's asking questions because it it, it sends a, a, a thing of honor. It gives David the freedom. It gives David choice, which is why it's honor, which is why it's love. He gives David the choice to say, you know what? I have. In other words, I've changed my mind. I'm going to let Adonijah sit on the throne. And then he continues. Today he's gone down. He sacrificed great numbers of cattle and fed calves. He describes the whole party scene, the, the banquet that's going on, all the invited guests that are there, the commanders, the sons, the family, um, Abathar, the priest is doing the sacrifices, everybody down there, now they're eating, they're drinking with him, and they're saying, long live King Adoniah. I'm sure that was probably the one of the first toasts, right? As everybody sat down, somebody raised the glass, and everybody's chanting, Adoniah, Adoniah. And he's smiling and waving, and he's like, thank you, thank you. Yes, I will be a, a true king. I will be honorable. I will, I will take care of everything. There'll be... You know, <laughs> making all the it'll make all the promises politicians do. I love it when politicians make promises you know have nothing to do with their abilities, right? Where they say things like, you know, uh, I promise that you know if if I become president, you know, no one will ever die or something like that. There'll be no more cancer. What? There'll be no more viruses. What? You can't you can't make that promise. But politicians like to do stuff like that, so I I picture Adonijah doing stuff like that. Everybody's great. Everybody's singing his praises. But Nathan's like, but I didn't get invited. Zadok didn't get invited. Benaiah didn't get invited. Solomon didn't get invited. So I'm just curious. Again, he asked the question to bring forth honor. Is this something you've decided to do without letting us know? We just want to know. Well, David gets pretty fired up by this. And David knows he can make stuff happen fast. He's he's still got it in him. And I'm sure his his uh servant, maid servant, is right there with him. Abby, she's got him all ready to go. He gets he gets changed. He tells him, I want to be taken to the throne room. He, you know, he calls in Bathsheba. So she, you know, she comes to his presence. She goes, the king took an oath. As surely as the Lord lives, who delivered me out of every trouble, I will carry out this very day what I swore to you by the Lord God of Israel. Solomon, your son, shall be king after me, and he will sit on the throne in my place. Again, this is why I don't think David necessarily thought he was going to die soon. He just was physically unable to move. He was physically unable to get out of bed. So I don't know what that means. I just don't think he thought he was going to die soon. That's why he hadn't given anybody the throne yet. He was still mentally able to play play along. He could sign the papers. He could keep track of what was going on. He had plenty of great servants and, and uh, government agents and emissaries and ambassadors. He... He could run the country. He was a he was a brilliant leader. But he's like, I'll make this happen. I'll make this happen 
it'll happen today. And Bathsheba said, she bows down, lays down on the king on the floor. She's like, may the Lord, you know, my Lord, King David live forever. And the king calls out, brings in Zadok, brings in Nathan, brings in Benaiah. He's uh, he, when they all get there. He's like, all right, take take your Lord's servants with you. Have Solomon, my son, mount on my mule, which evidently was marked so that everyone knew it belonged to David. Take him down, basically down the road in front of everybody. Have Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anoint him king over Israel. Blow the trumpet and shout, long live King Solomon. Then you are to go up with him. And as he as he, uh, as he is to come and sit on my throne and reign in my place, I have appointed him ruler over Israel and Judah. So he's like, let's do our own little parade. But let's actually do what we know needs to be done in order to show that that this guy is the next king. These plans have been discussed before. It's not like this is a new plan. This was always the plan. David would wait in the throne room. Zadok, Nathan, and Benaiah are going to execute the plan. He's going to be brought down to to uh, you know to the to the anointing place. We'll just call it. Everybody's going to see him. He's going to ride down like a parade with Nathan there and Zadok. People are going to recognize them. They're dressed in their royal dress robes. Everybody's going to see it's Solomon on the on the thing. He's probably like 20 years old. He's handsome. Not as handsome as, you know, unfortunately as Adoniah or Absalom. But he's a good-looking dude. Good-looking dude. So they go ahead with the plan. Everything's going along great. Benaiah answers the king, Amen, may the Lord, the God of my Lord and king, so declare it. The Lord with all the Lord is the king of kings, so he may be with Solomon and make his throne even greater than the throne of David. So blah, blah, blah. Like all pretty words, which is awesome. And always nice when everything goes well. right? Zadok, the priest, Nathan, Benaiah, and and all of the uh, the armed forces that come from the palace they all go down. They mount kings, uh, put Solomon on kings, King David's mule. They escort him down to Gihon. Zadok and the priest took the horn of oil from the sacred tent and anointed Solomon. See, this is something that uh, Adonijah doesn't have, right? He doesn't have an anointing. They didn't go to the place where the anointing oil was kept. I mean, he's got a priest there, and he's making sacrifices, and he's making declarations that say, I'm the next king, and everybody's like, yeah, long live King Adoniah, Woohoo!" But he hasn't been recognized, he hasn't been anointed the next king in the official uh, office of, or, or place where that would take place in, in Gihon, and, and with the oil that's been set aside for it. But but the 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 palace guards are there and Nathan the prophet's there and Zadok is there and there's there's trumpets that are going to be played and there's instruments and everybody knows there's a big parade coming so even though there's a party going on outside the city gates in the city there's a lot of energy starting to build and people are looking out the windows and the marketplace is shutting down and people are running into the main part of the street because they see that this is King David's mule and people are noting that and this is King David's palace guards and there's King David's priest and King David's prophet and King David's son, Solomon. And people are, are declaring this and talking about it. And the energy's building and he gets anointed. And everybody here uh, sees it. And then 
All the guests, I mean, everybody that's there, they sound the trumpet, like 200 decibels. These things are loud. And they started to shout. The people started to shout, long live King Solomon. And all the people started dancing and jumping, and it became this huge party. And so the sound of that going on inside the city starts to leak over the walls to where the other party's going on. And Adonai and all his guests were here, and they heard as it was finishing up, as they were finishing up, they heard the trumpet. So this this party that Adonai has been throwing, remember he probably he went down there probably in the morning. He's thinking by nighttime I'll be on the throne. David gets aware of it, some probably in late morning. They execute the plan. Again, you don't get the time factors a lot in these verses, right? But he he gets Benaiah in, he gets Nathan in, he gets Bathsheba on board. Like everybody gets gets the plan. They execute the plan, takes 20, 30 minutes. Get David, get Solomon, sorry, get Solomon on David's mule. He does the parade. It's now like one, two o'clock. So now it's three o'clock or so, and the trumpets sound, and everybody starts to party in the city. And the people outside are kind of finishing up the banquet, and they they hear this this these trumpets, and then this, you know, the banging of the drums, and they're like, wait, what's the what's going on in the city? Like, what just happened? Like, all of us are out here. What's going on in the city? And even as he's speaking, because Joab Joab is on high alert, right? High alert. He hears those trumpets, and he's thinking, okay. Something's something's up, and and my role as commander and general of the armed forces, I need to know what's up. If this if there's trumpets being blowing in the city, something significant's going on, and I was not a part of it, which means I could be in trouble. And even as he's speaking, Jonathan, son of Abathar, the priest arrives. Right now, this remember Jonathan was one of the one of the sons that was that was trusted by David as a spy when Absalom took over the kingdom. Jonathan, Jonathan and and uh, the son of Zadok hid out in the well. Remember with the information, and then snuck over to see David and told him to cross the river right now. Do not wait for morning. So he he has a key role in all of this. So Adonijah says, oh, come on in. You must be bringing good news because, of course, you know, if you're a good guy, you only bring good news. And he's like, not at all. This is horrible news. Our Lord King David has made Solomon king. The king has sent him with Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaiah the son, all of the armed armed guards of the palace, and they have put him on the king's mule. And Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet have anointed him king at Gihon. From there, they have gone up cheering. There's a big party and parade going on, and the whole city resounds with it. That's the noise that you hear. Moreover, now this has already occurred. The parade is over. Solomon is now sitting on the throne in the throne room. And the royal officials have come to congratulate him. And our Lord King David, saying, may, the, may God grant Solomon even more fame than yours and your his throne be greater than yours. And the king bowed and worshipped on his bed. 
And he said, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has allowed my eyes to see my successor on my throne today. It's pretty crazy. Now talk about a crazy day. How, how do you think Solomon's doing today? <laughs> right? He gets up in the morning. He's kind of going through his routine. He sees he sees his brothers in the in the various apartments and courtyards, you know, and 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 they start all kind of disappearing. And then by let's say 9 30, 10 o'clock, it seems like he's the only guy around in the courtyard. I mean, there's servants and there's you know, there's things to do, and he's he's kind of going through his normal routine, but the brothers that he normally runs into aren't there, and and he doesn't really know where they're at. Maybe he goes in to see his mother, and his mother's gone. And they say, well, well, he's like, well, where's where's my mom? And they're like, oh, she's meeting with Nathan. Nathan called her out. And Nathan tells her all that's happening, and then she goes in to see David, and David listens to that. And Nathan comes in and tells him what's going on. And then Nathan, you know, he David calls, blah, 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 blah. All this is going on. Solomon's kind of clueless. And then in comes Benaiah with all the palace guards, and, and they're like, come with us. <laughs> He's like, okay, what did I do? Did I do anything wrong? Benaiah's like, no, you did not do anything wrong. Your brother Adoniah has done something wrong, and you are going to be crowned the next king of, of Israel. You're coming with us. And they take him down to the, to the uh, stables, and they pull out David's mule, and Solomon's like, wait, whoa, like that's dad's mule. Like nobody, nobody rides that. And they're like, no, you're riding it because you're the next king. And they put him on the mule. And I'm sure internally he was he was aware of what could happen in his life. I'm sure his mother and Nathan had said, you are going to be the next king of Israel, which is why they disciplined him, why they trained him, why they gave him such wisdom and, and accomplishment, why they, why they helped him understand how to worship God and how to enter into the presence of God. I'm sure that these are things that David made aware, you know, made his children aware of, but Solomon was the only one who really followed up on it to the point where Solomon, Solomon had already been practicing the, his, his full awareness of God's presence and his, and, and in that awareness had probably had visions and, and had visited, you know, heaven in a, in, in the mystical ways that, that David had occasionally. I think it's already been a part of Solomon's life. He's already been there. He, I mean, he is an amazing young man, but, but, you know, this day is going pretty quick. And even though he may be internally aware of this, it's still kind of crazy the way that it's happening. He gets down there, he gets anointed. I'm sure he gets overwhelmed with the presence of God again. He gets back on the mule. He's headed back up through the city. People are cheering. Trumpets are blowing. Drums are pounding. Uh, palm trees are waving. Ribbons are being, you know, tossed at him in the streets. He's having a, a great run. He, but his, but his brothers aren't there, right? None of his brothers are around. None of their families are around. Nothing's, nothing's there that, that somehow makes this feel a little weird. And he gets all the way back to the palace, and he goes into the palace. He ascends, you know, up to, up to the throne. He sits there. His father, David, it says he's in the bed. So they carried a bed or brought brought him out to an, his own bed, but there was a way for him to be in the throne room in the bed. And I have a feeling there was a separate bed in the throne room where when he had to be because he, he couldn't really walk, they would carry him and put him there. 
And sometimes, you know, thrones honestly look like big beds. I, and I know that there are some in the uh, in the Asian monarchies where they actually slept on their throne because as as what they figured themselves to be as godlike figures, they could never be off the throne. So they would everything took place in in basically a large couch. So I'm sure they built something along that line for David to be in the throne room if he needed to be. So he's there. And David nods and smiles, and and I'm sure, you know, uh, Solomon acknowledges him in some way, and he goes and he sits on the throne, and and now all the government officials, because this was an official thing, right? All the emissaries, all the ambassadors, all the 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 large family representatives that spend their day in the courtyards of the palace in order to work deals and and uh, determine uh, the structure of, of new deals and contracts and all that kind of stuff, they all line up and they recognize Solomon as king and they praise David for who he chose and they bless Solomon with riches and favor and and acknowledgement of his, of his position. And David, at the end of kind of all of that, he praises the Lord and he bows down and he's like, this is awesome. I get to actually see the person who's sitting on my throne. I don't just die, you know, and then and then it happens without me. So Jonathan is conveying all of that. Now, we only get like, uh, whatever, eight verses of it, but he conveys all of that to the to the people in the in the banquet hall, to all the sons of David to the military leaders of, of David. And it says that at this, like when they all hear this, Adonai's guests jumped up, right? It says rose in alarm. In other words, they jumped up and dispersed. They ran out of there. And they ran fast, like it was chaos. When Jonathan gets done just delivering what has just occurred, and and again, it takes more than the whatever, the five or six verses that, that it, that it's listed. When he gets done with all those details, the people panic because they don't want Solomon to kill them for rebelling against David. I have no doubt that most of these people are right, the sons of David. They all know that Jonathan, at the very least, they all knew that sorry, sorry, they all knew that Solomon had been promised the throne. He hadn't been anointed. He hadn't been he hadn't been anointed with oil because that could happen. You could anoint your successor and still rule as king. But nobody had been anointed yet. It had been promised to Solomon, but he hadn't been anointed the next king because I don't think David thought he was going to die anytime soon. He just couldn't get out of bed. He was he was in a lot of pain. Maybe through because he couldn't get out of bed, like the apathy, ap, apathy, ap, the the. The legs had stopped working. <laughs> the muscles weren't, weren't working well. Anyways, so they all get up. They're in a panic. They're running back to their houses. They somehow want to maybe sneak their way into the party at, at the throne room, try and look like like they're all for it. They're just late, whatever. Adonai is in absolute fear. Uh, Adonai, sorry, he's in absolute fear. He runs to the altar in the tabernacle, and he grabs hold of the horns, which is an ancient way of saying, basically, it was like it was like home base when you're playing hide and seek, like, Ali Ali, I'm free, like you can't tag me, you can't kill me, 
Nobody, nobody gets killed at the altar. No human dies at the altar of God, which is another principle that I keep hammering in this. God doesn't kill people. The altar of God is not about killing people. So if you go to the altar of God, no one can kill you. Oh, yeah, Bob, I'm telling you. I know, I know people are going to argue with this. They, they, I know, I know it goes against what a lot of us have been taught for a long time. Just stick with me. What if that's true? Anyways, so everybody's dispersing. Everybody's in a panic. I mean, I, I have no idea what old Joab's doing. Like, he knows he's screwed. I mean, he's, he has screwed with David enough and not been disciplined. And he knows. <laughs> he's got to know, all right, this time. This time I probably made a really bad error in judgment. <laughs> but Adonijah runs to the to the horns and he grabs hold of the horns and Solomon is told Adonijah is afraid of King Solomon is clinging to the horns of the altar. He says, "Let King Solomon swear to me today that he will not put me to death with his sword." So here's the first opportunity for for Solomon to make a ruling. The man who had, that is his brother, the man who has rebelled against David, the man who tried to take over the kingdom, knows that he deserves death, knows that 99.9 of all rulers on the planet would kill him right now. He's pleading for mercy, and what does Solomon give him? He gives him mercy. He gives him conditional protection. He's like... If he shows himself worthy, not a hair on his head will fall to the ground. But if he's evil, if evil is found in him, he will die. So they went to, the people go to Adoniah and they bring him, they let him know. He's not going to kill you. He promises. But don't be stupid. If you do something stupid, he will kill you. So, Mercy is shown. Opportunity is given. And Adonai is brought down from the altar. He goes before the King Solomon and he bows before him, showing some level of honor and agreement with the conditions. And basically he's under house arrest. That's what it means there. It says, all right, go to your home. You don't have any position in government. You don't have any any uh, you know lines on a on a contract to sign. You're done in the political realm, but you're not going to die. I'll let you live your life out. You don't do anything stupid. If you don't try and take over my kingdom, if you don't try and put together an army against me, if you don't try a military coup or another political coup, everything will be fine. But it's going to be your choice. If you die, it's your choice. I've given you an opportunity to live. I will fulfill my end of the bargain. You screw up, that's on you. It's that age-old principle. You reap what you sow. You get the good. If you reap good, you get you get you know ten times what you sow. you always get ten times what you sow, right? You plant one seed, you get a one one corn seed. You get whatever fifty years of corn. If you plant, well, technically, I guess you, if you counted the kernels, right, you get millions of corns. Same thing with apples, right? You plant one apple tree, you get lots of apples. You sow good things, you get lots of good things. You sow bad things, you get lots of bad things. He's like, it's your choice, Adonai. It's your choice. 
That's what love does, right? Love always gives you the freedom to choose. That's what God always does. He always gives you the freedom to choose. You can choose these results or these results. I'm not going to force you one way or the other. I'm going to give you freedom. And if you make the wrong choice, I'm not going to take the freedom away and say, nope, screwed up. Just do what you're told. You get you get it. And I'm never going to leave you either way. I'm always going to be with you. Well, anyways, Solomon is now sitting on the throne. Solomon has shown mercy to his brother in many ways, just like King David had to so many of his enemies. And now there's kind of this uh, almost co-ruling right now that goes on. David is is available. David's wisdom is there. David's uh, uh, friendship is there. David's connections and relationships are available. People are able to sit with David and hear the story and understand why he chose Solomon. And they're able to sit with Solomon and understand why that all makes sense. It's, it's a pretty awesome opportunity, really. And it's something that so many people in ministry and in leadership get wrong. Because they'll ride out their ministry until, it, until it's dead. I literally had a, a pastor tell me once, this church will either grow to tens of thousands or I or it'll die with you know with with three people left. But I ain't leaving I I ain't leaving till it's either in the ground or you know or or I'm in the ground, basically was his premise. Yeah. They have no no forethought on setting up the next generation, no forethought on setting up and releasing the next person into ministry. They just, they either leave and let the church figure it out. They either leave and let the, the company figure it out. Or they run it into the ground and just let it die and say, well, if somebody wants to you know, build a business, they can do it on their own. I did. Somebody wants to start a church, they can start their own church. I did. It's just poor leadership, not evil or sinful, just poor, just poor. David shows amazing leadership here. Now, granted, he was kind of backed into a corner, but when the time came, he had a plan, he executed the plan, and he put the right person in charge. All right, I'll see you guys next time. We are close to the end. As you can tell, we are close to the end. I think we have one more podcast left, and the epic story of David will be done. And then, of course, we'll start another epic narrative. Why? Because the Bible's full of it. Have a good day, everyone. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast on any platform you use. You can also reach out to Bob for questions or booking at thebobswitzer.com or email him at thebobswitzer at gmail.com. See you next week, guys. Bye.